This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel. My name is Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. And folks, after an entire offseason of recruiting, Questions about the future of this staff, transfers in, transfers out, position previews, and over 10,000 Evan Watkins articles. The Hokies finally took the field on Friday, and they did so in style. And we got the whole gang here to talk about it. Speak of the devil, Evan Watkins joins us. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. It's almost uh, skinny jean weather, so I know Matei is ready for that. <laughs> Matei says up in Northern Virginia. Matei, you got a rebuttal to that? I hated hearing that, but I love seeing Virginia Tech football back and, you know, six million plus views on the Enter Sandman video. It feels so good to be back. And one person I know was definitely ready for Virginia Tech football was Doug Bowman because I received a text from him at around 930 in the morning on Friday telling me where his tailgate spot was and asking, where is everybody? Doug, you have fun on Friday? Yes, it is a good thing that the game was on Friday and there is a national holiday on Monday giving us, you know, a couple extra days to recover. But quality night or quality day and night in Blacksburg there on Friday, long, long drive home to uh, to Richmond on Saturday. But, um, yeah, can't complain. And and I was wondering where but it was 10 a.m. I don't think it was 930. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give it 10.30. Regardless, that's, in my perspective, that is a compliment that I'm giving you. You had the right Thank idea. You. Everyone else was just late. Uh, <laughs> but, guys, let's dive right into it. 17-10 final score. The Hokies knock off number 10 North Carolina. March down the field on the first drive and, and don't look back. It wasn't without its flaws, at least on the offensive side of the ball and special teams, but – the defense played a heck of a game, and Justin Fuente and his staff coached a heck of a game. They take down the media darling that was the North Carolina Tar Heels, and they do so very openly in the world of college football on the hot seat. Guys, what's your initial impression, initial takeaway from the game? You know, I was uh, I was, I was, was not really surprised. I'll, I'll go ahead and say that. I think I was one of the only ones in the group that was either drunk, crazy, or, or just flat out lucky predicting that Virginia Tech would win that game. So lucky, you know, it, when it comes to Justin Fuente, as long as they're not playing, you know, one of the five, six programs in the country that will beat anyone. If you give him three, four, five months to prepare for a game, he's going to make it competitive. You know, the only one, the only opener I think that wasn't overly competitive was when Ryan Willis just imploded uh, a few years ago. So you know, I I think when you when you add that in, and you know, I wrote it in one of the predictions that I did that Virginia Tech didn't have to play a flawless game; they just had to have good defense and be able to run the ball. Uh, and I think we saw that's what uh, that's what happened. I like the way that they controlled the clock. Um, I have not been shy about it. I think Sam Howell is one of the best quarterbacks in college football, uh, and they they confused him. Um, you know, they had. A, a call, a scheme for everything that North Carolina wanted to run. 
Um, you know, that, uh, that Josh Downs kid was probably the most electric kid on the, uh, on the field, both sides of the ball. But I think they, they contained him well, other than that, you know, that big play, uh, for the touchdown. But, you know, I think, I think they did about as, as well as you, uh, you could expect left some points out on the field, but that stuff you can tune up in other weeks. This was a, a, a survive week, get the win and, uh, and, and prepare to move on. You know, it'd be nice to see Virginia Tech, uh, you know, get a get a string together, a couple of wins here and, and go into that Notre Dame game undefeated. But, you know, one one week at a time, we'll see what comes out this week. But I wasn't surprised at all. I think, uh, you know, I was I was steadfast in that prediction. Virginia Tech would win as I was, you know, very, very lucky that it actually happened. Yeah, I you know, I was pretty surprised. So, you know, I think. From everything we talked about last week, I gave a lot of credit to Sam Howell and um, the UNC offensive line in particular. Their, you know, I, I guess their defense did hold up, but um, Virginia Tech came out, executed the game plan. They knew exactly what they had to do. Uh, I think Justin Fuente said today, or maybe it was on Tech Talk Live last night, that they even were planning to take the ball if they won the, the coin toss because they knew how important scoring first and keeping Howell off the field was. So, um it was a surprise to me. Um, I think I, I think I had it over 60 points total, but only got the 27 there. But um, yeah, ex- executed the game plan pretty much to perfection. Obviously, you wanted a little more in the second half there out of the offense, um, but the defense definitely probably the probably the most surprising part there was was the defense and how they performed you know, especially on the defensive line and in the secondary there to to shut down Sam Howell and the UNC offense, which, you know, I don't think many people expected them to do. One final thing I'll say is that when you look at Virginia Tech and a lot of these big time games, I feel like so often they're let down by coaching, whether it's playing too conservative, not having the right game plan. This time around, I feel like Virginia Tech completely outcoached Mac Brown, a guy that's won a ring before, uh, with a loaded staff, with loaded talent. Uh, Virginia Tech didn't have as much talent on their side of the field, but you know, for a 17 to 10 game, it felt like they were in control the entire time. Aside from maybe the end, you know, towards the end in that fourth quarter things started to get a little shaky and maybe people were, you know, starting to question, can, can Sam Howell continue his hot fourth quarter? Uh, Can he score a touchdown? And, you know, this is like every other game Virginia tech fans have seen, but for the most part, I was just very impressed that I feel like the Virginia tech coaches did absolutely everything they could have done to prepare their players to win this game. And aside from a few execution mistakes and maybe some other play calls, you know, in the second half on offense, I thought Virginia Tech coached exceptionally in this game. And pointing to that coach to the coaching staff is normally not the first thing we look at when we're looking at these games. But I think it was just there was such a, a stark difference between the way that Virginia Tech coached and the way that UNC coached that you just have to give credit to Justin Fuente, Justin Hamilton, and the rest of the staff. Yeah, quite frankly, a total redemption game for the staff. And going into this one, right? We knew the questions that UNC had. We knew that they were going to be implementing essentially an entirely new offense in terms of their wide receiver group, in terms of a transfer running back from Tennessee. We knew the offensive line was coming back and we knew what they had in Sam Howell. But ultimately, even knowing how good the atmosphere was going to be 
in Lane Stadium. I said, I'll take Sam Howell over Braxton Burmeister and Mac Brown over Justin Fuente because track record would send you to that point. It wouldn't even be close. Let's put it as frankly as we can. But both outperformed their counterpart, and they did it in a big way. Sam Howell, a guy, again, media darling, Mac Brown, media darling, this entire Carolina team, media darlings, entire Sports Center segments where the only thing that was being mentioned about Virginia Tech going into this game was, are you guys excited to play your first game in Lane Stadium with Enter Sandman? And the much maligned Fuente, at least among large swaths of the fan base, and a guy in Braxton Burmeister who had more questions than knowns about him going into this game, both performed about as well as you really could ask. So I want to turn to Braxton Burmeister though. He marches down that field on the first drive. And that was an absolute spark plug in the game. How do you view Burmeister's game overall? We know the advanced metrics like it. Do you think this is a performance that can be sustainable for Virginia tech going forward? You know, I think the big thing with, with Braxton Burmeister is a lot of it is scheme-based. I think that uh, Brad Cornelson called an excellent first half. Um, you know, and I'm not overly down on the second half as much as there was some poor execution. Now, could should Virginia Tech have gotten in some of those situations? Probably not. But, you know, the what was it, the dump-off to, uh, to Blackshear that, that would have picked up a first down uh, that he overthrew uh, missing Trey Turner for a wide open walk-in touchdown, things like that. You know, I think you can, I think you can correct those. I think Braxton played about as flawless of a game uh, as you could ask for. We saw that in glimpses against Clemson. We saw it last year against UVA. Uh, you know, I think that he's a kind of a system quarterback right now. And I think that the system is working. Is he a guy that I think can come back if you're down, you know, 14 points? Can he come back and win a game? That That's a big unknown right now. But when you can scheme the first half to get your playmakers involved, when you can control the clock, you can control the ball uh, on the ground, and you got guys like James Mitchell and, and Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson and, and Raheem Blackshear that you can use as safety valves, you know, I think that, uh, I think that that is only going to help build his confidence. And I'll tell you one of the big takeaways that I saw other than that missing Trey Turner on that, what would have been a wide open, you know, walk-in touchdown was it was, it was nice to see Braxton actually go through progressions and not be a guy that takes one read and then takes off because he knows he's quick. He's no, he knows he's fast. He actually seemed to progress through the, uh, through his reads pretty well before tucking it and running and I think that's what he's going to need to do. I think uh, teams will probably key in on some of his tendencies once there's more film out there. Uh, and if he's a one read and run type of guy, you can load the box up and, and try to make him beat you with his arm and just try to shut down Trey Turner or shut down James Mitchell. And, and you can really, uh, you know, make, put a put a valve on this uh, on this offense and you can shut it off pretty quickly so you know I think it's nice to see him go through his progressions uh, I'd like to see more more in the passing game I think we'll see that uh, over the next few weeks I'd like to see him take more shots downfield but man that that throw to Trey Turner on the sideline couldn't have been any better um, you know the the throw to the end zone that was uh, you know inch or two out of bounds that was a beautiful throw as well 
he's got to keep some defensive on defenses honest. He's got to be able to hit some shots down the field, but I think he managed the game really well, did exactly what they asked him to do. And, you know, I think that's, uh, I think that's what we've seen from him and what we expect to see from him moving forward. The big question will be, can Virginia Tech's offensive coordinators, can they, can they game plan to get uh, to continue to progress and take advantage of these mismatches moving forward? And I agree completely with you on that one, Evan. I mean, Braxton Burmeister is not Sam Howell, and he's never going to be asked to be Sam Howell. But when Justin Fuente and his staff recruited this kid from Oregon a few years ago, they saw a talent athletically that fit very well in their system. He is indeed a system quarterback, and credit has to go to the coaching staff, right, against a very solid defense in North Carolina they took the summer and they drew up a game plan that when executed well by Braxton Burmeister and not just completing the passes that they asked him to complete, not just by getting yards on the ground, but making the right decisions on that zone read game and calling the game on the field in a way that made Virginia Tech's offense effective. Now, can the coaching staff continue to put together those good game plans? Well, you don't have all summer and beyond anymore. Now you're going on a week to week basis. And to some degree, the element of surprise isn't going to be there. After this game, there's not going to be a defensive coordinator in, in the country that's going to shrug off Virginia Tech. But in the position that he was in, Braxton Burmeister was as effective as you really could ask him to be. And you're not going to face corners of the caliber of the University of North Carolina every week going forward. Now, they're going to play some decent defenses and they're going to play some decent secondaries. But I, I think that we're going to have to look at defenses position group by position group and where there are mismatches because, quite frankly, we saw the flashes from Braxton Burmeister, the throw to James Mitchell in the end zone, one of the most athletic throws I've seen from a Virginia Tech quarterback in quite some time. The fades to Tavion, to Trey Turner, despite the fact that the latter of the two was not ultimately called a touchdown on the field. But Braxton Burmeister's stock has to have gone up, at least, at least in my mind. Do you guys agree? I, I think a little bit. I mean, you, you you even go back to last year. You look at his last three games, 10, 10 for 12 against Clemson before he gets hurt, 15 of 22 against UVA, and then 12 of 19 here against UNC in 2021. I think he... He's proving that he can be an effective quarterback. I don't think, you know, I think he's a, I, I don't think you ever want him throwing 25, 30, 35 passes a game, but um, he's definitely a, his legs add a huge element to the offense and, and you can build a, a little bit of a passing game or at least enough of a passing game around him to, to put something together there. So, I mean, he was, uh, I mean, he was everything you wanted in that game, um, you know, a couple throws here or there. We're talking about like a missed dump off the Raheem Blackshear, a missed swing pass. You can hit that pass most of the time. So, uh, I, you know, I don't think the offense has changed much from kind of the Hendon Hooker misdirection looking offense. But, um, you know, that was a pretty good offense as well at, at times. So if, if he's going to be consistent and throw together, you know, 15 of 22, like you did against UVA or, or 12 of 19 against UNC. I think, you know, that's, that's the kind of performance for gene tech needs to do to win games. And, and if he can do that, then it'll be on, it'll pretty much be on the defense to decide how, how successful this team is. I want to look at the distribution 
from the running backs and, and the success in the running game. Now, we talked about how this was probably going to go back to running back by committee, and that was indeed the case. Jalen Holston, 13 carries for 49 yards. Raheem Blackshear, 11 carries for just 16 yards. Braxton Burmeister getting involved as well, 42 yards on the ground. And the Jets sweep looked good. Tavion Robinson, Trey Turner, both getting involved in that facet of the game. Of course, not a banner day if your name is Kashawn King. Just three carries for two yards, including that fumble that if the end of the game goes a little bit differently, a lot of people are going to be very angry at Kashawn King. What did you make of the running game in this contest? Did anything surprise you, or was it, frankly, what you expected? You know, I thought Jalen Holson would be the guy off the bat, him and Raheem Blackshear, a little bit of Keyshawn King in there. But, you know, you don't want to break the kid's confidence, but Keyshawn King has to know to hold on to the football. That's the biggest rule. You want to stay on the field, you hold on to the ball. Uh, you know, should he have been running between the tackles? Maybe, maybe not. Was it the right play call? Was he the right personnel package for that call? I think he's an explosive player. I like that they threw him out there to return kicks, but you have to hold on to the football. Jalen Holston, Raheem Blackshear, they should be the two guys right now until King can show he's consistent enough to be able to uh, to control the ball and to be able to pick up yards. And I think next week you'll see those two guys. You know, in my ideal world, you have, uh, you know, your two starters, you got Holston, you have Blackshear the first half, and then you have maybe King, Lee, Thomas, throw in a couple of guys in the second half. Maybe the game will be out of uh, out of reach by then. But, you know, it's exactly what I thought it was going to be with the rotation. I do wish that there was a little bit more consistency with the rotation, uh, you know, with when somebody's hot, ride that hot hand. Virginia Tech for years has seemed to be the guys, the, the team to pull those guys uh, Blackshear got a little bit of, uh, you know, he, he got a little bit of of the short end of the stick on some of those carries, getting blown up for a for a loss. Guys that, you know, the defensive line maybe pushed through the uh, the O line on those situations. Holston seemed to run well. I think he picked up, you know, multiple first downs on third and short. So, you know, it's what we thought it was going to be. Braxton, I think, will continue to get a little bit more involved. I'd like to see. One of Raheem or Holston become the bell cow and ride that hot hand a little bit. But, you know, I think it shuffled fairly well for me. And, and you know, once King fumbled it, I figured it was going to be a two-man job. So, you know, I think uh, I think that's what we'll see moving forward. More Holston, more Raheem, and then get, some, get King some reps to build that confidence back up and don't throw him in the doghouse again. I think when you look at this running game, Jalen Holston seemed to be the most as advertised. Raheem Blackshear, probably the stats won't say it, but it seemed to be his most effective game within the Brad Cornelson offense. He looked the most like himself. He looked the most healthy, especially when he's on the field. You know, I know this question is specifically for the running attack, but you have to credit his ability to impact the game, especially in those wheel routes. Um, he just offers so much versatility from that perspective. Uh, and then obviously we... We all wish we could have seen more Kashan King um, and, and you know, turnovers have been a big problem in what has held him off the field, among other things. But he is kind of that big play guy of those three. Uh, like Evan was saying, I think it's going to be Jalen Holston. It's going to be Raheem Blackshear for the foreseeable future. 
Uh, and, you know, I was surprised not to see as much Braxton Burmeister on the ground. I know he had that touchdown run uh, and a few others, but he seemed more willing to be uh, the number two guy in a lot of those zone raid options. Uh, I was surprised you, to see him not take it uh, into his own arms on a number of plays. But, you know, maybe that's more about uh, reading the situation and knowing that he needs to stay healthy throughout the entire game. And I think also one big thing about this running game is that the way that Virginia Tech approached this game, at least offensively draining the clock all the way down, I think, you know, takes out a lot of opportunities, at least for their stats to look better. So I thought given the opportunities that they had, uh, this running game was very good. And Raheem Blackshear just was better than advertised of all the running backs. I certainly agree. We talked about what Blankshear was billed to be coming out of Rutgers. And this was a guy with a proven track record. He had done it in Big Ten games before and all Big Ten honorable mention when he was up there in Piscataway, New Jersey. But last year, I mean, it was the Khalil Herbert show. He never really got into the mix and he never got to be that receiving threat. He could be a Swiss Army knife. Now, on the ground, between the tackles, it still hasn't been great, but you can envision a true role for him into this offense, and, and, and that's got to be a big takeaway. But one more thing I have for you guys. Second half, things don't go well. Three and out, three and out, first play interception. You have a 45-yard drive that leads to a field goal. Then they fail to take advantage of the short field with the missed field goal. They did what they had to do on their final possession of the game to kill clock. But Ultimately, offensively, it wasn't a confidence-inspiring showing for the second half of the game, almost yin and yang with what we saw in the first half, where Virginia Tech's offense seemed almost dominant. What went wrong there? I, You know, I thought it was a little bit of kind of the conservative game plan and what they wanted to do as far as milking some clock and, and keeping control of the game. The defense was obviously holding up well and hadn't played all that many snaps there um, deep into the second half even. So they, they they clearly felt confident with where where the game was to kind of keep the, the the restrictor played on it. But you know, I think you also have to give a little credit to the North Carolina defense. They've got a lot they've got a lot of talent. You talked about the secondary earlier. Um, you know, it's not it's not gonna be easy um, against that defense for for many teams and I think they proved it. Um, so you, you just have to think it was mostly a mixture of that and, and, you know, trying to focus on, you know, keeping the ball and, and avoiding the big turnover that would have swung the game. Obviously the one picked uh, that uh, I think it was Conley for Carolina came up with had the potential to swing the game completely. And then they come right back or tech comes right back, and gets a pick themselves. So um, they were, uh, that, that felt like they were just trying to see the game out. Obviously, they would have loved to have a couple more first downs there um, with three or four minutes to go to really milk it. But um, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was those two things, and mostly the UNC defense kind of rising to the occasion to try and get them back in the game. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think, uh, I think Justin Fuente had the whole mindset of control the clock to win the game. When you're up, control the ball, control the clock. And don't let Sam Howe have all day to try and take advantage and 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 get get them back in the game. You know, I think the defense 
basically, you know, Justin Puente even said it recently. He he let the kids go out and just play. Just, you know, let them play fast and let them go. I think what they did, you know, I know we'll talk about defense in a minute, but I think what they did with Amari Barno was outstanding. Um, but, you know, in the second half of the offense, I think they just purposely slowed it down. And if you had picked up a few of those first downs, uh, you know, I think that we – could be talking about maybe even a, a higher point spread differential uh, than 17 to 10 had they been able to convert, you know, that Raheem swing pass or maybe pick up one or two of those first downs, you know, don't miss the field goal, things like that. I think we're looking at uh, a little bit different of a ball game. But, you know, like I said earlier, I think for Virginia Tech, this was a survival mode game for them get up and survive to win it. You don't want to go out there and try to make mistakes. You want to put the ball in your in your playmaker's hands and you want to let your defense who is playing outstanding football go out there and finish it out for you. So you know, I'm sure I'm sure that it's frustrating for fans, you know, to see the throttle uh taken off in the second half again. Seems like that's a common theme uh under Fuente and under this staff, but I think it makes sense that they did it in this situation. You know, when you're playing dominant football and defense uh, and, and you're already up to try and just control the ball, control the clock, make it a fast game uh, and limit the, the amount of time Sam Howell can touch the football. So, you know, if, 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 like you said, if that interception could have swung the game, I think we're having a completely different conversation right now. But I think the Virginia Tech defense saved that from happening. And, uh, you know, I think, like it or hate it, I think Fuente's game plan. Uh, I think it. I think it played out how he wanted it, and you know, you got out with the win. So, can only hate on it for for just a little bit. That's a win's a win at the end of the day. An effective game plan that doesn't work perfectly but works is a success in my book. And I want to look at that defensive side of the ball, guys, because we are a year removed from a game down in Chapel Hill on national television where Virginia Tech's defense had one of the worst performances in Virginia Tech football history. Now, we could get into all the variables. Of course, COVID had ravaged the team at that point. But if you told me going into this one that Virginia Tech's defense would win them the game, quite frankly, I, I would just laugh you off. We could start up front with the defensive line where we knew Amare Barno was good. But Jordan Williams did his job and Taiwan Garbett and Narelle Pollard were sensational. Is this a unit that, and let's look past the depth right now, because for the moment, the unit is healthy. We looked at this as a question mark. After what we saw on Friday, is the defensive line in totality a strength? I'll go yes. I think uh, I think what you, when you look at the four defensive tackles, I think the rotation there was great. We knew... Uh, Bill Terenlink likes to rotate his defensive tackles. Uh, and, and looking at the snap counts, I think most of them, or all four of them, were between 29 and I think 34 reps. So fairly evenly distributed. Let guys really get a rest, get their legs underneath them, and, and really take advantage. I mean, you look at uh, Jordan Williams wasn't a starter, actually played the least amount of reps of the defensive tackle unit. Uh, but was really productive. I mean, he had the uh, the tackle or the the pressure at the end of the game for uh, 
to force Sam Howell into the game clinching interception. So, you know, he was definitely productive in there, and I think his role will continue to grow. Uh, Pollard, Kendricks looked a lot better than they have. Uh, they both took a step forward. I think Fuga took a step forward as well. Uh, you know, so I think that defensive tack room, while it's not overly deep, uh, you know, I think those four rotated really well. Uh, and I, I liked the way that they were used. Um, defensive end, we've heard all all uh, summer that Taiwan Garbutt had taken a huge step forward. Last year, I mean, that was, a, in my opinion, that's a throwaway year for him. He had some some stuff going on at home. He was splitting time between Blacksburg and Fredericksburg, wasn't with the team for weeks at a time. When he joined, he was, uh, you know, obviously not in game shape, tried to get in game shape. You have to go through COVID protocol. By the time he finally got a chance to play the season, uh, you know, was already slipping away. And, you know, he, he didn't really have the best of years. Um, but, you know, back with the team full time, uh, doesn't have those worries weighing on him anymore. He can focus on football. And I think we've seen uh, a major maturity out of him, uh, both on and off the field. I think that he's really turned the corner. Uh, and then then you have Barno. Um, you know, I've said throughout the summer, one of my really good NFL contacts is telling me that Amari Barno is a top 50 pick before the season starts. So we knew that was going to be this is going to be a big year for him. He has a lot of money on the table. Uh, Last year, he just scratched the surface, first year ever playing the position, uh, but showed what kind of athlete he is, what kind of football player he can be. Uh, And this year, they finally have a chance to be creative with him. I really, I really like that. Um, You know, he's in the recruiting process. Everyone kept saying he reminds you of, of Tremaine. Everybody wanted to see Tremaine at the end, uh, and never really got a full chance to see it. Now we're getting a little bit of that versatility to play out. He's obviously got the size. He's got the length. He's got the athleticism. But you can stand him up. You can drop him into coverage. You can make him a spy. You can make him a typical edge, edge rusher. Uh, you can do stunts with him. You can do anything exotic you want to do with him. He can do it. And I think that's a credit not only to him, but that's a credit to J.C. Price, Bill Tierney, Justin Hamilton, figuring out what he's comfortable with and how to make it work to your advantage. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think will continue to get better and better as this season goes on. Just like last year was a money-making year for Christian Darisaw, this is a money-making year for Amari Barno. He has what teams will overpay for. Uh, he's he's definitely put it on film last year and, you know, through one game this year. If he can continue this steady progression, I don't think he's going to be in Blacksburg much longer. I think he's going to be an NFLer uh, on an NFL roster next year. And I think he's going to be an early draft pick if this continues. So I think the depth is, a, is an issue. But right now, that defensive line is a strength uh, of the Virginia Tech defense. I'll say, too, that with Amari Barno, perhaps the entire offseason UNC was coming in thinking that's the guy that's going to cause the most havoc. Uh, Not only was it Amari Barno that was bringing, you know, not necessarily even pressure, but playmaking. It was Taiwan Garbutt on the ends. And then on the interior, just having guys in a rotation, um, breaking up that offensive line. And let's not forget that this UNC offensive line was completely hyped up for bringing back 
you know, most of their starters for being the guys that paved the way for the last two Javante Williams and Michael Carter last year that both broke well over a thousand yards. Uh, This was an offensive line that was supposedly one of the top units in the ACC and Virginia Tech was essentially getting away with rushing three men, dropping Amari Barno and making life miserable uh, for Sam Howell. He was being pressured nearly on every drop back pass. They couldn't set up uh, even the running game effectively enough to run the read, the read option or the um, play action. So there was no room for perhaps the top overall uh, player in the ACC and Sam Howell to get things going because of that defensive line. And I know you have to credit the rest of the defense, but strictly looking at the vacuum of what they were able to do and manhandle and win physically against that UNC offensive line, it's super impressive. The The only qualm I have about it, it's still, it's it, it kind of hurts the eyes to see Jordan Williams in 12, Mario Kendricks in 22, <laughs> Josh Fuga in six, and Narelle Pollard in three. I, I you know, I kind of like the single digits on defensive linemen, but it's going to take a few more games to really to really set in. But Amari Barno at the 11, that was, you know, that's perfect for him. Soak yeah. it in. Don't I, you, don't 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 be a disagree old completely. Man. Soak it in. <laughs> that is the wrong opinion. I like the 38 on Amari Barno. I, make the oh, number your God. own. Give me uh, a D tackle in zero. And, and I'll be the happiest guy all year long. And honestly, I, I'm going to go with the other guys on this. Sorry, I'm going to tell I think that it really depends on how good you are. If you are getting blown off the ball with number six on you as a defensive lineman, well, that's uh, looks like you're trying a little too hard and you can't back it up. But what Amari Barno is doing out there, he can wear whatever number he wants because that dude is a freak. And I expected a lot out of him, but the chaos that he created from the first whistle to the final whistle. He was everything he was billed for and more. But I want to talk about these defensive backs. Jermaine Waller looked fantastic. Amari Chapman looked fantastic. Now, early on in the game, first time North Carolina gets the ball, first down completion from Sam Howell to Josh Downs. And I said, well, we scored first, but it could be a long day. But it felt like after that, the main motion I was doing from my spot in Lane Stadium was the incomplete pass referee sign crossing my arms because you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. It was a tenacious effort by a defensive back group that, though they weren't completely healthy at times last year, were much maligned at times at the end of the season. Jermaine Waller looked like as healthy as he has ever been. And Armani Chapman, physically, he looks great out there. The safety group as well. Gentlemen, are we raising the stock? Are we holding? I'm assuming that we're not going to, after shutting down Sam Howell, sell this group. But is that inspiring confidence for you? Do you feel like this group could be even better than we anticipated? I I certainly think so. I think you're looking at we talked all off season about the importance of Jermaine Waller and Dorian Strong specifically coming along and forming kind of a cornerback 
duo there for Virginia Tech they could rely on. And then, you know, <laughs> Friday night, Armani Chapman steps in the spotlight. We'd heard a little bit about how his how well his fall camp had gone, and, and it's pretty clear that Virginia Tech's got three corners right now that they really like. Um, they were even taking Hollyfield off the field and in third and long to get them all three on the field at the same time, which I think says a lot about that. Um, you touched on the slot matchup for Chamari Connor with Josh Downs. We knew that was going to go well. It didn't go well, but it wasn't enough. The rest of the guys did enough to kind of limit that, the, the impact of that. I thought the biggest thing, I mean, to be a really, really good defense, you have to have really, really good players and they have to make plays. And you talk about the play. Jermaine Waller made there on the sideline to come up with a pick. Dorian Strong in the end, so in the end zone comes up with a huge pass breakup. Chamari Connor seals it with a with a t- with an interception at the end. Those are your those are your big time players making big time plays for you, and that's exactly what has to happen. Um, and, and then I think the other thing you have to talk about, we talked about the game plan the coaches put forward offensively specifically, but. To switch to Nasir Peoples at safety over Devin Hunter seemingly in the last week or two. Um, clearly the right call. The guy came out and barely was taken off the field um, in his first career start of that position. So great call by the coaches. Great performance by Peoples. I think you have to be really comfortable, especially you know heading into you know you got a couple games here couple non-conference games to continue to grow that group i think you have to be pretty high on the on on the secondary i I can't really remember i mean i guess the last one was the last time tech had three really good corners is like the alexander stroman face on group anytime you can put together three corners you're going to be a pretty good defense so um definitely stock rising there yeah i agree with doug um you know I, i think it was interesting like I mentioned earlier, I think Justin Hamilton really did some interesting things in this game. Now, I haven't gone back and and fully analyzed again uh, the game. I've watched the replay, uh, I think, twice now, but I haven't gotten a chance to fully analyze on defense. But I did notice, like Doug mentioned, on, on obvious passing downs. I thought it was I thought it was interesting because everyone assumed they were going to pick on Chamari or they were going to pick on Dax on third down situations uh, and, and when you can pull Dax off the field and shuffle your defense really quickly and get your best playmakers out there so that that can't happen I think that that uh, was some ingenuity I think um, you know I think that was unique and something that Justin Hamilton really dialed up uh, a good game plan there I talked to someone um, who is who has some connections at UNC who said that uh, Justin Hamilton really kind of did his homework. He had an answer for everything. He had an answer for every play. He had an answer for every design. Uh, and he really knew uh, how to game plan for that game. But just like on the offensive side, can he do that now with just a few days in between games? You know, it's one thing to do it with four or five months of preparation but can you continue to string that together? But I think this defensive back unit is, uh, is moving up quickly. I wasn't surprised to see uh, Nazir out there. I had, I had said that I had heard that he was moving up to the top of the depth chart before that game. Uh, he's just consistent. You know, he was having a great camp before he got hurt. 
uh, came back out of that injury well and has just been consistent. And for as much fanfare as Devin Hunter gets, um, I mean, 757 local guy for me, uh, I've seen him grow up immensely. Uh, I started fo- uh, following his recruitment in the eighth grade. So, you know, it, to come and take a year away from football and have to go through everything he went through just to come back and be in consideration to be a starter, that's a huge testament for him. Uh, he's got great athleticism. I am confident that he will work his way into the rotation. I think he just needs a little more time. It's hard to come back after that much time away from football. So, you know, to see Nazir out there, I think that was great. I think you'll see a shift next week with Middle Tennessee of, of him and Devin rotating a little bit, uh, and we'll see how that progresses. Maybe similar to how uh, Terrell Edmonds rotated with uh, Devon Diablo before Diablo got hurt a few years ago. I could see a similar split to that at that position, but, you know, I'm, I'm definitely buying on the stock of Virginia Tech's DBs. All right, well, we've talked offense, we've talked defense. We got to get to the special teams where Oscar Bradburn left big shoes to fill. However, a man by the name of Pete Moore steps in, highly touted freshman. I got to ask, how do you guys think he did? Well, I like what Doug put down in the Google Doc, that it's no longer Peter Moore, it's now Pete Moore. I think he's definitely earned the short name change. Uh, Four punts, 177 yards. Uh, in his first game punting in the cauldron that was uh, Lane Stadium. Uh, I thought what was most impressive about him specifically was that it seemed like the approach, at least in punting situations, there was like, it always looked like a UNC defender was nearby, like a UNC defender could have made a play. And I don't know if that was by design, but um, certainly it seemed like Virginia Tech didn't want to allow anything to happen on special teams. So they played more of the coverage game in terms of not making UNC able to have a lot of room to make plays. Uh, but I thought for what he had to do, Peter Moore showed out uh, and I'm excited about him. Uh, so, you know, the future of Pete Moore is is uh, is bright. Uh, the rest of special teams, I mean, we might have to talk about that's a that's a different discussion. But Peter Moore. Pete Moore, Pete Moore, he did, he did well. I just did a quick scroll through Peter Moore's Instagram. I didn't see any camo crocs. Stock moves up for me. Stock moves down for Matek. So you know, I think he did. I think he did what was expected <laughs> of him. No camo crocs. I'm moving that even up. I think he's. I think he's up there right underneath Oscar Bradburn. All right, gentlemen, as we wrap up our discussion about North Carolina, do we have any final thoughts about the game? Anything you have left on the table from what was, frankly, the best win of the Justin Fuente era? I mean, a top 15 team came into Blacksburg. The fans showed out for the first time in 650 days, and they did not leave disappointed. The man on the hot seat now has some momentum any final thoughts before we get to MTSU? I will just say that I thought the game plan was brilliant for North Carolina specifically. When you look on the offensive side of the ball, slowing down the pace, we've seen it before against Clemson and Virginia. It seems like there's a humble moment to say we might not have a, an offense that can go toe-to-toe with these other guys. So in order to you know give us an advantage— we need to keep the ball, 
run all the way down the field, burn off all the clock, keep our defense fresh, and have those other guys not enter the field. That's one. Two, on the defensive side, those obvious passing situations that we talked about, there was 21 plays that Dax Hollyfield wasn't on the field at middle linebacker and that Virginia Tech had you know extra defensive backs out there. My questions for both of those is, how often are we going to see that for the remainder of the season? Is this only a thing where you're slowing down the offense against teams like UNC, like maybe Notre Dame or Miami, um, Pittsburgh perhaps? Or is this a one-time thing that you've prepared for the entire offseason for UNC? The same thing goes with the defense. Will those concepts, those things we saw with Amari Barno playing spy, with the defense playing six defensive backs at times, is that going to be a consistent type of thing that we see on third down? Or was that specific to UNC? Because if that was just for UNC and then you're installing new fundamentals throughout the rest of the season, I think things get tricky. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe this isn't the most talented Justin Fuente team. Maybe it could be the best coach Justin Fuente team, and they're able to do these versatile concepts. Maybe next week they're going up-tempo on a team they're clearly better than in Middle Tennessee State, and they're able to set the tempo, go, you know, high scoring, have their defense, uh, keep up with the offense, so to speak. But um, you know, all in all, I just want to see what will the consistent identity of both units look like moving forward. I want to go a little different on that one. And I want to say on offense, I just want to give a shout out to AARP Tyrell Smith, 17 snaps at right tackle, was in for a touchdown drive and is the biggest cheerleader on the sidelines you will ever see when he's not in there. I think the the right guard, right tackle rotation, uh, you know, of uh, getting Johnny Jordan in there, Caden Moore, obviously, Silas, I think that, they, that that did well. I'd like to see that rotation continue a little bit. I think that it, uh, it, it helped bolster the offensive line a little bit. And there's something to be said when you have a 40-year-old right tackle. There's something to be said about that. You know, I'm, I'm all in. Uh, I'm all in on the uh, AARP Tyrell Smith right tackle train. He had to be wearing one of those sleeves after the game, don't you think? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I should have tweeted that after the game. Get that NIL deal continue going. I'm just giving you free content here. There we go. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, a new task at hand. We had nine months to prepare for North Carolina, but we have a few more days now to prepare for Middle Tennessee State University. MTSU comes out in their first game and beat up on a pretty good FCS program in Monmouth. That being said, the elephant in the room. You go back to beating Florida State and then losing to ODU a few weeks later. 2014, probably most glaringly, beating Ohio State in Columbus and coming home one week later and losing to ECU at home. This is a great opportunity for Justin Fuente to show the letdown game is not coming just yet. What are the expectations for Virginia Tech in this one? Virginia Tech should win this game handily. Uh, they have more talent. They're bigger, stronger, you know, all that stuff. It's pretty obvious if you look at it. They're the better team. You touched on it with a couple ones. You can throw JMU in there. Um, you can also remember Tech losing to Furman at the half a couple years ago. 
can also remember struggling with Rhode Island a couple of years ago. So you can definitely feel the angst about this kind of game coming off of a, a big home win where it's not the first game and forever in front of a crowd. It's, the crowd is certainly not going to be as amped for the Blue Raiders as they were for the Heels. Um, you know, it's it's a two o'clock kick as opposed to, you know, getting into the late evening. It's a different mentality. It's a different, you know, intensity level. So, you know, it's about coming out and, and, and really just taking care of business and, and doing what you need to do to to build a big lead and get off the field if you're if you're if you're the Virginia Tech starters and you know there's a couple other guys that they played against um, North Carolina that's the goal is just come out here get your work done get a big lead and get off the field um, but you know as far as the the fear of it happening again I, that's probably fair I mean this team is either lost or was losing to several teams they should have beat by a lot so um, you know I'm expecting them to come out looking strong and 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 kind of take care of business but i i i wouldn't be surprised if not yeah i think that i think that sits in the back of most people's mind if if you've been familiar with virginia tech for a while now of the big win to the big letdown but i think this week i think that virginia tech should be able to win this game pretty handedly uh, but what I would like to see is not only you know I, I think a dominant performance would obviously be something to build upon but I think Virginia Tech has to get a downfield passing game ready not necessarily for this game but they need to put something on film for West Virginia and you know for Notre Dame you have to have something on film that will keep defensive honest to say that Braxton Burmeister can actually throw the ball down the field as opposed to trying to keep everything, uh, you know, in that mid range or, or closer and, you know, stack the box and try to just uh, limit what Virginia tech can do. So I expect to see some big explosive plays on the ground. Wouldn't be surprised uh, to see, you know, maybe a big touchdown run from either Holston or uh, Blackshear, but what I'm really interested in is can they get Jaden Payout involved? Can we get Dwayne Lofton uh, involved out of the slot? Can you move the ball down the field at ease? Just to put something on film, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be elaborate. It can be really vanilla. You know, if, if you line up Jaden Payout against whoever Middle Tennessee State's quarter, corner is, I would bet Jaden Payout can outrun him. I mean, you can run a go route and just if you can hit him, put something on film that other teams will be able to see and say, you know, we can't just stack the box against this, these guys. We can't just sell out to stop the run against these guys because they can actually move the ball through the air as well. Be more balanced, uh, you know, maybe take a couple more shots. And ideally, you'd want to see those uh, those start halftime and get some team reps going uh you know third quarter maybe third team reps in the uh in the fourth quarter so you know i think uh, i think this is a learning game this is a building block definitely could be a trap game but i think uh just talent level alone virginia tech is just you know on a different level uh right now so right now than middle tennessee state is so you know i think it should be a pretty handed 
uh, win, but I don't know that it's going to be as big as Vegas thinks. I'm not sure it's going to be as big as a lot of Virginia Tech fans hope for. The expectation and the goal has to be to exercise that demon because, I mean, you look at all the intangibles, a team in Middle Tennessee State that, you know, was a losing team, mostly beating up on bad teams last year in Conference USA. Bailey Hockman's not a world beater, and we could talk about him in a second. Right now, it's Virginia Tech as 20-and-a-half-point favorites. I mean, if you can cover that, I'm going to walk out and press. But I want to build on the flashes of potential that we've seen, right? We know that North Carolina had a good defense and a very good defensive back group. Maybe Braxton Burmeister goes out there, and he flashes that deep ball a little bit more. And like you said, Evan, get payout, get loft in, get these other guys involved. Let's show maybe not too much on the film, but show the potential of what this offense can offer and that what you did against North Carolina might have been more of a first-half success against a very good defense, and here's what we can do against lesser competition. Because I know that the cynics in this Virginia Tech fan base, if this game is still competitive at halftime, especially after three quarters, everyone's going to be saying it's a one-off. But do you guys have any other goals for this game, anything you want to look for? I think when you're looking at the offense, I'll go a step further. I think, you know, it would be nice to see the ones done by halftime. That's obviously the dream scenario here. Having Braxton Burmeister go for over 200 in the air and maybe the trio of Jalen Holston, Raheem Blackshear, Kashawn King going for, I don't know, 120 yards. That would be ideal for the offense. The defense, I mean, the, I, I think they're going to do just fine. You're thinking about how well Bailey Hawkman did the last time for the NC State offense. It was it was pretty bad, uh, and he's playing with less talent around him. Obviously, a lot of transfer names that are interesting to look at at Middle Tennessee State that we could go into in a little bit. But you know, most most importantly, I think it, it's about getting this game over with by halftime. And I will say. Uh, just to Evan's point about putting things on film for West Virginia, I think they're too interested right now in looking at the film from Maryland, seeing the tu- Talia Tulia tug of Iloa went for over 300 on them. They're probably watching that film and not thinking about what Braxton Burmeister could do. But, you know, all in all, I think it's about seeing a bit more flair, maybe a bit more uh, consistency, crispiness on the offensive side. Um and just seeing clean all around defense, not letting up too many big plays and uh, you know, maybe just get, you know, off the stat sheet, getting out of this game healthy. I mean, that's most important. So. I mean, that's gotta be priority. Number one, Doug, I'm sure you're working on your game preview right now. So we'll go with this for you. What scares you most about middle Tennessee? Not too much. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Um, you know, I, Hawkman gets a tough rap for, for what happened last week, last year against Virginia tech, but he's a, you know, he actually, I think he finished with four straight wins there at NC state at the end of the year. And, um, he's a capable quarterback, you know, I think he's going to have a pretty good season down there. Um, he can make some throws. He can, you know, he's got, uh, he's got you know, one or two, what? Nothing about this team should scare Virginia Tech. Um, you know, they, they're starting a 275 pound offensive tackle that's going to protect Hawkman's blind side um, as a left hander. So, you know, I think Virginia Tech loves that matchup. A couple of their linebackers are 
you know, Alan Tisdale, 2020 size, 210, 215 pounds. Um, their corners are all under 190 pounds. So I think you love, I mean, this is a game that James Mitchell should absolutely, absolutely tee off on and pretty much dominate. Um, so, you know, nothing really scares me. I mean, they played five running backs last week and none of them, I think they were five running backs. They played them between 12 and 20 snaps. You know, I think when you have five running backs playing, you have no running backs, um, essentially. So, you know, scare, nothing scares me is the short of it. I, you know, I think Virginia Tech wins this handily. They come out with the right mindset and they and they kind of take care of business. They should physically overwhelm Middle Tennessee State, especially um, on the offensive and defensive lines. Do any of you guys have any reasons to be worried out there? I mean, Bailey Hockman, three touchdowns last week on 50% passing against Monmouth. Could he be better than the, like, 2.7 passer rating that he brought to Blacksburg last year? I'm sorry. You said be nice to him, and he didn't prove. But, frankly, there's a reason he's at Middle Tennessee State right now and not North Carolina State. I think the biggest concern for Virginia Tech is Virginia Tech. I don't think it's, it's Middle Tennessee. I think Virginia Tech is their own worst enemy in games like this. So, you know, they can out-athlete Middle Tennessee State. They have more talent. They're bigger in the trenches. They have better players. Uh, They have more electric players on offense. I think that the only thing that can stand in their way uh, is themselves. Can they game plan for this well? Can they execute? Can the players not take a week off? You know, it's... It's tough to go from, you know, an opener against number 10 to Middle Tennessee State. Can the players continue to play at the same level and not play down to their competition? While Middle Tennessee will probably try to play up as, you know, this could be one of their potential Super Bowls. It's a top 25 team. Uh, It's a team that they could get a lot of notoriety if they came in and knocked off and uh, to be honest, Virginia Tech has faltered before like this. So they have to have some some sort of confidence uh, at Middle Tennessee State that they could knock off Virginia Tech uh, based on track record alone. But I think if, if the Hokies can control the ball uh, and do what they need to do, do what they've shown they could do, uh, if Braxton plays anywhere like he did, going back to Clemson, going back to UVA, going back this past week to North Carolina, Virginia Tech's the only person that stands in their own way. So I think that they should be able to take care of business fairly early in this one. All right, gentlemen, closing thoughts and picks for the game. Blue Raiders of Middle Tennessee State come to Blacksburg on Saturday. I'll start. I'll, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be a blowout. I think Virginia Tech comes out and takes care of business. Um, I'll go 41-17. Doug's got them covering. What about you, Mate? Yeah, I haven't, you know, in terms of, I think Virginia Tech will be able to mostly wrap this game up by halftime. Um, You know, they showed kind of the same dominance uh, against UNC, really showing a lot of their offense in that first half before slowing down in the second. I think it's going to be similar to a, to a different degree this time with the ones going off in the first half and then the second half getting some reps for some other guys. Maybe, uh, you know, we'll see Marco Lee uh, to Evans boy get to play a little bit late in the game. Uh, That would be nice. I think, you know, seeing those young wide receivers. Um, But yeah, I think like a 40 to 14 type game sounds about right. Getting 40 or above 
for Virginia Tech offensively would be really good for them while keeping uh, Middle Tennessee State to two or fewer touchdowns would be would be a success in my mind. Evan, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I think games like this are really tough to predict. And I think, you know, I think Virginia Tech can jump off hot here, jump off quick to a big lead. I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe a 28, maybe a 28-3, 28-6 type of lead at the half. My question is, can Virginia Tech's second slash third team offense continue that trajectory, continue to put up points like that? And I'm not sure that they can. So I think maybe, you know, you might see 28 in the first half and you might see a drastic slowdown in the second half. Uh, you know, if if this were to come to fruition, maybe, you know, maybe seven to 10 points second half could be some defensive scores, maybe a special team score here or there. But, you know, I think maybe a 30, 38, 17, 38. 15 somewhere around in there i think is is probably what you just I didn't want to say my score it's fine you can take my score no i just don't trust that your score is good enough so you know i think i think uh i might marinate on this one for a little bit longer but i think virginia tech will win will they cover you know i i, I think they are good enough to cover i just don't know I don't know that if the game gets out of hand early, if Justin Fuente will put his foot on the on the throat, so to speak, and, and try to run it up and do that. Or if, you know, you try to keep it a little bit more under control, get your second, third team reps and, and don't, you know, try to stay a little bit classy with it. I think Virginia Tech has a chance to uh, to kind of boat race this one if they want to. I'm just not sure that that's going to be in Fuente style. So. Maybe they cover. I think it's going to be kind of close if they do. Uh, but whatever Matei picked, that's not going to happen. It's going to be wrong. <laughs> I'll take 35-14. Virginia Tech out the gate hot. Pull the starters. West Virginia a week away. We see a lot of Knox Kadem, maybe some second team defense. We know that once Amari Barno and those guys on the front line are out, the second group maybe leaves a little bit to be desired. I'll say the second team might lose to what would still be the first team of Middle Tennessee State, but Virginia Tech walks away covering by half a point. Gentlemen, are we all good here? Can we wrap it up? I have one more thing to say. Well, more so, so do a question. I. So do I. Okay, fine. A, a question for all of you. Do you think this is the game we see Connor Bulmerick? You think we see him in this game? Is this is this Connor the debut? I, is this I don't know what I said, but I... Right? I can't pronounce his name, but do you think we see him? I'll pronounce it right if we see it's him. It's pronounced but. exactly like it's spelled. Connor Bulmerick, yeah. Do you think we see him? There's no, there's way too many syllables. <laughs> I say we see Blumrick, Bulmerick, whatever, on a jet sweep. No quarterback snaps. Love it. Oh, I think you see Knox, and I think you see Taj. I don't think you see Connor at quarterback. Wow. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know what to believe. That's why I asked you guys. I can't right. even say his name. I got a trivia question. Um, Middle Tennessee State gets added to the schedule in 2018. Didn't play last year in Murfreesboro. Does anybody remember who Virginia Tech was scheduled to play this year? Michigan? I don't know. Wisconsin? ECU? I think Matei got it. Michigan. Let's go. Would have been. Would have been. Camel uh, Crocs knowledge. Would have been in Blacksburg. But I don't think Virginia Tech wanted to play West Virginia, Michigan, and Notre Dame in the same season, so it all worked out. 
Gentlemen, thanks for joining today. And thank all of our listeners for joining us. You're listening to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. We'll be back next week to recap the Middle Tennessee State game. Hopefully not a whole lot to talk about, and we'll give you a good old-fashioned West Virginia preview as the Hokies head to Morgantown, hopefully at 2-0. Enjoy your week. Enjoy the game. Go Hokies.